Hey, welcome to Good Morning. Welcome to today's episode of the Daily Copy. Uh, the newsletter for the Daily Copy will drop at midday today. And um, uh, every day, and you can go subscribe to that exclusively on LinkedIn. And then uh, uh, these videos will drop at 10. They drop at 10 a.m. We go live at 10 a.m. every day um, just to go over everything that's in the newsletter uh, and uh, uh, talk about that stuff. So super interesting day today. We're going to talk about finances, tech, and marketing. Um, and all the things in the world of those things. So uh, leading in, we're going to talk about finances and we're going to talk about credit. Everyone's favorite subject, we're going to talk about credit. Everyone loves credit when they have it good and everyone thinks the system is corrupt when they have it bad. Uh, a solid credit score is the key to building wealth, securing housing and getting slightly less dismal car insurance rates, apparently. Ask your state farm agent. But the American credit scoring system is far from perfect, and there's loads of evidence that it further furthers systemic financial inequality in the U.S. So this uh, comes from a most recent report um, and pointed out some of the problems with the uh, credit system in America. Let's see if those things hold true. So there's, they say, uh, uh, so there was a Sesame, a credit Sesame uh, survey that showed uh, that there was some steep racial disparities in the credit system. So uh, this report showed that 54% of black consumers uh, have a FICO score of below 640 or no credit at all. Um, and 41% of Hispanic consumers are in the same boat. Meanwhile, only 37% of white consumers and 19% of Asians. So the Asians are running this show uh, there. Um, one of the big things that came from this report uh, that may end up as policy is that one of the best ways to get off on a good foot on in credit is, uh, listen to Dave Ramsey, number one, <laughs> I didn't say that, the report didn't say that, but number one would be to uh, uh, get on someone else's, um, on someone else's uh, credit card or credit report or someone like that be a co have a co-signer and uh, have a good history with that so it says here one of the quickest ways to build credit as a young adult is to be added as an authorized user on a caregiver's card but not everyone has that privilege you're seeing that that's the best way um, and not everyone has that uh, privilege uh, they would say that the system is defunct it's crappy it's no good for anyone um, and then uh, a credit invisibility. Oh, let's start with this. So the lack of generational wealth. When we consider the factors that boost credit scores, payment history, credit mix, and the lack of credit history, for example, it's clear that the credit building is more challenging if you don't have access to generational wealth, which everyone, each and every one of us should be aspiring to pass down as you were a Marxist. Um, Case in point, one of the quickest ways to build credit as a young adult is to be an added authorized user on the credit card. Um, but not everyone has that privilege. That would, people are saying that that's one of the biggest problems. Like if I don't have access to it, then it's not a fair game because it's set up for people with generational wealth. Uh, however, if everyone did that, it would be fine. Um, and then credit invisibility. So these are the three biggest points that came from this report. It was uh, racial disparities, the lack of generational wealth or access to it, and this credit invisibility, a 2015 uh, uh, study from the Consumer 
Finance Protection Bureau, the CFPB, found that 26 million Americans were classified as credit invisible, meaning they had no credit history with a major agency. The CFPB hasn't updated its data since, but the findings are still relevant as steep disparities along racial lines persist today. This is from a report uh, with credit invisibility disproportionately impacting minority groups, except Asians. Um, super interesting. Uh, and we could probably begin to see... Uh, so there's two things that might happen. Uh, young people may just give up credit and give up debt for a, for a series of time. And I don't know why they would do that, especially in America, especially in this country that has some of the best debt products in the world um, for regular people to be able to access and uh, benefit themselves. But, but um, uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, have a perfect system. So one thing, young people may just go Dave Ramsey and buy everything with cash. I think I said this last week that young people are expecting to earn a lot more money than every other generation ever has been combined um, to, uh, to pull that off. So if they're expecting that, they're expecting 171 a year, I think I said in the previous show, then it is expected that... Uh, uh, you would be able to buy a lot of things with cash. So maybe they just kind of lean in this no debt direction anyway, or or there's going to be a lot more debt, but it's going to be underwritten by a larger government program. So there's a couple of things there to think about. Uh, just the narrative of how people are talking about credit and debt is probably more important than the actual thing that's going on right now, especially when it leans into policy policies. Uh, but also at the same time, there's so many people on TikTok, young, like young entrepreneur gurus on TikTok and those platforms that are telling you to leverage these debt programs, um, these debt products. So super interesting way. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's going to be interesting. Okay, moving on. Tech. Tech, virtual power plants and microchips. This is cool. A virtual power plant. A virtual power plant is a network of decentralized medium-scale power-generating units as well as flexible power consumers and storage systems. Is this the future of how you turn your lights on? That's going to be super interesting to know. So uh, let's just read straight from the report. Virtual power plants might sound like something made up from the metaverse feature, but they are very real and they're powered uh, by actual homes and businesses. So... As more homeowners and businesses, business owners invest in technologies that can form the foundation of virtual power plants, VPPs is what they're called, virtual power plants, like rooftop solar batteries, smart thermostats, or electric vehicles, grid operators are exploring the tech as a potential solution for reliability and demand challenges in strained energy markets like California. Um, executive, said the executive of the director of Texas Advanced Energy Business Alliance. So this is interesting. So, so the more you decentralize uh, energy production and things like that, the more, the more you'll get people getting control of their own stuff. So you'll see right now a bunch of energy companies trying to get their hands on this and get a get a handle on this before they lose all of their power. And this is what I mean by that. So if you stick um, solar panels on your roof. And I know this because I had that pink energy company come out the other day to mine. If you have stick solar panels on your roof and you generate more energy than what you use. So say you just went all out and you bought hundreds of solar panels and you generate twice as much energy as what you needed. 
and it costs you 80, but you're generating enough to cover the debt. Plus you're adding something to your pocket a month. And say you were entrepreneurial and you thought like that. The energy companies and the people who are running the grid, the utility companies is what I meant to say. The utility companies are saying, we're not going to buy that for cash. We'll buy it for credit with our own energy. Because some months you're not going to produce as much. Um, some months you're not going to produce as much. And you will have, uh, uh, you'll have to buy energy from the grid. Because you can't go, uh, they're saying you can't go completely off the grid. And a lot of these solar companies have to use the grid to um to put their solar panels on because there's a deal there's there's a lot of policies in all of states that say different things so uh the energy company utility companies are saying how can we get ahead of this because if it is completely decentralized people will have their own power and we can't let them have their own energy we can't let them have that and they'll say well what happens if it all goes out but like i said the other day there's loads of communities in america without any grid anyway they're using diesel-powered generators and um, maybe solar generators pretty soon. They're about the size of a truck. So super interesting um, uh, what's happening in that space right now and who's going to win. And I bet it's going to be the big companies. Uh, and it will take maybe a couple of generations and a, and, a, and a younger, more spunky generation to say, why are we paying you when we're generating the electric off, to off the top of our house? And solar panels are only going to get more efficient and better anyway. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting how that one kind of pans out in the future. Um, but uh, it might not be much different uh, for a while, for a while here. Um, Leading on, uh, chip lead times have started ticking down. Yes. That means you can get stuff again, maybe. They were just, here we go. They ticked down from 27 weeks. So a chip lead time was 27 weeks in June, and it ticked down to 26.9. Uh, so a 0.9 of a week. It's gotten quicker. It is getting quicker, step by step. Rome wasn't built in a day, but not every segment of the semiconductor industry is feeling relief. Bloomberg reports, and there's a link to the article in that wait times for certain chips still increased month over month. So it's all doomsday stuff here. So just as anyone decides to uh, get up to date with solar, even Texas will run out of microchips. So obviously you need microchips for that type of thing. Okay, leading on, and um, we'll finish with marketing here on this Monday. So we have marketing, um, and this is super interesting. Super interesting. So it seems uh, from the latest data is that as consumers, you might have been started being bombarded. So uh, if you've uh, binge watched a Netflix show recently, uh, well, not on Netflix because they don't have any commercials, but if you've watched a show maybe on Amazon or something with commercials or TV, still watching tv cable um if you're still watching those things one of the most effective marketing tools as reported in a recent study is if you watch a commercial during the commercial break about a product and then you see that product in the show you're more likely to purchase that product and the data shows that uh and i'm just going to read straight off this Using, using both in-show product placement alongside a traditional 30-second ad may be the best way to boost key metrics in sales and website visits rather than using any other method alone, 
according to BEN, a firm that helps brands with product placement, create partnerships and music licensing. Okay, so they ran this experiment. If you're only using a 30-second ad spot, uh, if you're only doing integration, the impact isn't as big, said Erin Schmidt, chief of product placement at BEN, who's, uh, who has helped brands uh, in shows like Stranger Things and Riverdale. I've never watched those shows. I'm sure they're fantastic. But if you were doing both, she says, in most... Oh, it might be a guy. Erin could be a girl or a boy. I've never met a dude called Erin. But if you, uh, if you were doing both, in most cases, you're seeing a significant impact and a significant increase in attribution. So the results for this are crazy. And there's a link to the report, I think. No, there isn't. We didn't even put a link in. You just have to trust us. The results are crazy. The results are considerable. Doritos, which had a product placement in Riverdale, saw a 61% lift in sales among audiences who saw a TV commercial and a product placement in the series. 61%. Nearly twice as much as the 37% lift in sales resulting from audiences who only saw the TV commercial. It's almost double. On the CBS series Mom, cereal brands saw a 53% lift in sales among audiences who saw a TV commercial and a product placement that more than 3% are three times higher than the 13.5% lift from a TV commercial alone. An auto brand advertised on ABC didn't see any increase in website visits through TV commercials alone, but saw an 8% lift in website visits when audiences saw a commercial and an in-show product integration. You're always being sold. If confirmed, what we have instinctively known, and that is when you integrate a brand meaningfully into a storyline or character journey, it is remembered. Barbara Robin, EVP of Integrated Marketing at the CW, CW Network, told a newsletter in an email. And when you follow that moment, the newsletter was Marketing Brew. I always read Marketing Brew. That's a great newsletter. Um, and when you follow that moment with a commercial unit it amplifies and reinforces that moment ultimately causing action super interesting and i think uh, everyone knows this so when i worked in a restaurant when i worked in a restaurant here in owensboro we had a beer called nagansit or narangaset but it's called nagansit and that's a uh, that's a northern beer um, northern as in like United States Northern. So uh, when we would tell people, when people would come in, so we didn't ever have any cause light or bud light or anything like that. So when people would come in and they would say, hey, can I have a cause light? You'd have to say, oh, uh, we don't have that. And they say, what do you have? Or they'd say, nah, I don't want anything. I would say, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Before you don't get a beer and ruin your evening, this is what you should do. You should get an Nagansit. And they would say, uh, I don't know what that is. Um, uh, I don't, I, I've never had that. I don't, I don't care about that. And then I would say, and this was true. Then I would say, that's the beer. You remember the scene in Jaws when he's, he crushes the beer? And they would say, yeah, I'd say, that's the beer he was drinking. And almost every time they would say, I'll take that beer. Because they would associate the product with the person. So I was essentially the commercial after the show. But if everyone knew that that was the beer from Jaws, they would get it. Because they would associate themselves. Oh, I'm that kind of guy. I'm a, I'm a tough fisherman guy who goes and gets sharks. So they would associate themselves with that beer. And you would see it. I've seen it right there in person. I've seen it work. I would say, that's the beer from that show. Do you want to be like that person? And they would say, yes, I want to be like that person. I'll pay money right now. 
like put it on my tab right now. I'll do it right now. And that was, that was the, that was the show. That was cool. So that was, that was this working in person. So can't wait to start putting some products in some movies. That's the future. It's the future of the agency. Okay. That's everything for today. Thanks for being with us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. I hope everyone's week gets off to a good start. We'll see you tomorrow. Go subscribe to the newsletter on, um, on LinkedIn, isn't it? LinkedIn exclusive newsletter. Go subscribe to the newsletter um, and you'll be able to see these every day too. Also, if you have any comments about what we've said today, leave them below and I'll reply to them probably in a separate video or just to you in the comments directly. Everyone have a good day. It's been good to talk to you all. Um, see you tomorrow. Thank you.